All right. Well, thank you, guys. So, so I, you know, I originally planned for us to spend some time in December going through the Sermon on the Mount, uh, but this this psalm hit me pretty hard, and we've had a bit of a chaotic time, and so I thought I would I would hit Psalm 136 today and probably do another ad hoc lesson next week and give us time, and let's just start the Sermon on the Mount fresh in the new year. I don't want to start that and stop that. That's a pretty big uh, uh, lesson plan we have, and I'd really hate for you guys to forget the first part of it as we go into the new year. So uh, we'll, we'll, we'll do a couple different things over the next couple of weeks uh, before we break for the new year, and uh, we'll hit the Sermon on the Mount hard in January. But to kick off this lesson, if you've got your Bibles, turn to Psalm 136. Uh, but what I wanted to talk about a little bit is in the spirit of Thanksgiving, you know, we've just come off the Thanksgiving holiday, Uh, As you guys probably did, what I know my family does, a lot of people do, you kind of go around the table or you at least think it to yourself, but you kind of take a moment to to think about what you're actually thankful for. And for any of you guys who did that around the table this year, what kind of came up? What were the type of things that you were thankful for? Health? Yeah. No one had Corvette on their list? No, it's... Yeah. Charles said, said freedom to be able to express themselves, you know, the freedom we have in this country. It's a great thing to be thankful for. In our, in our group, thankful for God right up at the top. Yep. From whom all blessings should flow. Yes. Anybody else? Thankful for kids being home. You know, it's interesting. We the, the, this Thanksgiving deal. You know, we we always. You know, it, it's a great time for us. No matter what you believe, or anything, it's always a good time to reflect upon what you're actually thankful for. Uh, around my table, we we did this, and it was a sad. You know, was, you know, we didn't get to do Thanksgiving with the big family like we normally do, and so you hate doing that. Uh, but so around my table, though, we went around. You know, just my wife and my kids, and we said, "Hey, what are you thankful for?" And probably the most memorable answer I got was from my son. You know, my son's nine years old, and he's got an interesting little personality on him. And so he said, just as confidently as he could, he said, well, Daddy, I'm, I'm thankful for God, I'm thankful for my family, and I'm thankful that I don't have to pay taxes. And, and so I, I thought to myself, I don't know what I've been saying to this kid. But obviously something is sinking in. So, so he was thankful he didn't have to pay taxes. But you know what, if, if, you go, if you go around, and everyone's got these answers, what they're thankful for, and a lot of people are thankful for their homes, they're thankful for, for the jobs that they have, they're thankful for the food that's on the table, you know, it's a great time for us to be thankful. But I got to thinking over this time frame of, okay, we're thankful for these things. To, to be thankful for things, though, just logically, you actually have to be thankful to someone who's providing you those things. It actually, if you think about it, it doesn't make sense to be, if you're thankful, you're expressing a gratitude towards someone, right? That, that's the, the idea of thankfulness is a gratitude towards someone. And so you have to be thankful to someone. And so I started thinking about it myself going for this Thanksgiving holiday. If I didn't believe in God, just as a thought experiment, if I didn't believe in God, if, you, if my neighbor next to me who doesn't believe in God, who are they thankful to this Thanksgiving holiday? Like, who are they giving thanks to? 
And, and so I started thinking about that over and over again, and I, and I tried to say, I want to actually have a good answer for this, not just a, I love Jesus, move on down the road, but like, I want a good answer for this. For someone who doesn't believe in God, who are they actually showing their thanks to? And as I started thinking about it more and more, a lot of people say, well, hey, I'm thankful that my spouse does this. You know, I'm thankful for my government. I'm thankful for my country that I live in. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm putting my thankfulness to some entity, right? Whether it be the government, my spouse, my kids, whatever it is, I'm attributing it to someone. And so as I went down that list of, okay, people could genuinely potentially be thankful to the government, thankful to their family, thankful to their employer. I was like, what do all those things have in common? And can you think of anything that all those things have in common, all those people, all those groups of people have in common? Any thoughts? Yeah, I'll say this. They're all sinners, right? All of them. All of them are sinners, right? I mean, if you think about it, like my wife, if I put all of my thankfulness to my wife, as, as incredible as my wife is, she's a sinful fallen creature just like me, Right? Uh, like if you think about, you know, people who have put their entire hope in our government, well, geez, how well does that work out for everybody, right? I mean, it, it's, it's uh, you know, our government, as great as it is, it's the best one in the world by far, the best one that's ever existed by far, right? But, but what's, that, um, what's that great saying? I can't remember who said this, but uh, democracy is, is the uh, best of the worst, right? I mean, it's even, even our government has its flaws, has its issues. Uh, we all see that. And so uh, no matter who it is in that list, our wife, our kids, our employer, our government, no matter what it is, they're all going to let us down at some point in time. They're going to let us down. They're going to fail us. Even the people you love. Gene, you got examples where the government's failed you? No, it's not you, but others. Yeah, well, exactly right. Like, we've got example. No one's perfect. No one's perfect. No one's got the moral high ground on this. Uh, we, we've all made those mistakes, but those people are going to fail you. Yeah, Dad? That was a Will Rogers quote. That was a Will Rogers quote. If my dad was here right now, he would tell you a story, and I'll go ahead and tell the story for him because I know what's in his head. Uh, but uh, my dad's hero growing up as a kid was Roy Rogers. Yeah, Roy Rogers. And so, so whenever I grew up, my dad would tell me stories about his childhood hero, Roy Rogers. And so I was about 10 years old, and I went to a movie theater, and before the movie theater, this, this charity was being showed, and they were, were trying to raise money. And it was just me and my friend there at the theater. My dad had handed me a $20 bill to go to get a movie ticket. And so I'm watching this deal beforehand, and it's about this guy named Rogers who's trying to raise money for some cause. And it was Will Rogers. It was some charity he, that deal for Will Rogers' name. Well, I heard Will Rogers, and I thought it was Roy Rogers. And I thought to myself, this is my dad's hero, right? So, so I gave all the money I had in my pocket to, to the Will Rogers Charitable Foundation. And uh, I got home and told my dad about it, and I can still remember the laugh. Uh, but but uh, So that's what he's thinking. Anyway, so yes, that was a Will Rogers quote. So uh, I'm 35 years old, and this still comes up about once a year. Um, anyway, so I think where I was on this is everybody's going to let you down. And so we, we learn in this psalm that, that we learn first who it is that we should be thankful to. And us, all of us sitting here, we're going to be thankful to God. And we'll get into that in a little bit. For, for anything we have, though, who it is we're going to be thankful to, it starts with God. And if you go back to the very beginning of how Thanksgiving started in this country, 
it started as a holiday not to be thankful for all the things we have, but a, a holiday started for us to revere and be thankful to God and God alone for all that he's provided. Uh, if you go back to the original Puritans, you can, you can see very, very simply that this was a holiday to be thankful to God, right? For, to God and God alone. And so we've, we've done like we do in most things in our culture. We shift things, we commercialize things, we do all that. But this was a holiday for us to be thankful to God. We're going to learn that in the psalm. But we're also going to, God's going to be very specific with us in his word and kind of give us a few things that we need to make sure we are thankful for that come from God. And so with everything going on right now, the, the darkness of this time, I thought it'd be a good time for us to step back and remember a few of these attributes of God that we can hold on to, right? It helps us reframe a little bit of Thanksgiving that's come, but also just, I think we're all going to be going through some challenging times. And so let's remember a few of these things that God teaches about that we can be thankful for even in the midst of some really dark, dark trials. Uh, so this, this psalm starts out with this. It says in verse 1, it says, Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. And if you kind of just skim your eyes through this entire psalm, you're going to see that that line for his steadfast love endures forever is going to repeat every time, you know, over and over again. And this was really meant almost to be sung. So like half of the class would, would sing, give thanks to the Lord for he is good. And the other half of the class would say, for, for his love endures forever, right? You would see this as almost like a call and refrain in a celebration, in a celebration. Exactly right. Yeah, we're not going to do it. I'm not going to make y'all do it. Uh, but that's how this would be used. So, so I really want to make sure we understand this very first verse, though, because it's very important. Uh, the first thing we need to understand, though, is this. Does, does anyone have... I'm reading out of the ESV, and the ESV in that, in that kind of second line says, for his steadfast love endures forever. Has anyone here got their NIV open? What's the NIV say? His love endures forever. Does anyone have a different translation that says something different? Yep. For his faithfulness is everlasting. For his faithfulness is everlasting. What do you have? New living because his faithful love endures. His faithful love endures forever. You might even see something that says um, uh, something about kind, kindness uh, in this. You see lots of different words to describe what the ESV says as his steadfast love endures forever. Loving kindness, that's what I was looking for. Yeah, loving kindness is where you'll see this. In other parts of the Bible, you'll see the same word sometimes translated as loving kindness. So, so we have a difficult time. I want, I, the reason I make you guys go around and see, say that is we have a very difficult time translating what God's trying to say this. The, 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 ancient, the ancient Israelites in, their, in Hebrew knew exactly what they were trying to say. We're, we have a hard time, though, trying to understand this word, this phrase. We have a really difficult time with it. But we need to know it because it's very, very important and it's very powerful. And any time I'm reading my Bible and I see this for his steadfast love, any time I see those words, I always stop for a moment uh, because, because it's just, like I said, it's a powerful word. This, this idea, this steadfast love, is different than the love of the world, right? This steadfast love is something we've learned about before. It's a love that is one-sided, 
right? It's one-sided. It's a love that, that combines commitment with loyalty. It's a love that is self-sacrificial in its nature, and it's a love that can only originate with God, right? It's a very different type of love. It's a love that will love one way with no expectation of what's going to come back. So it's not conditioned upon something coming back to us. And so we've studied this word in here a decent amount whenever we went through the book of Ruth. So the, the Hebrew word here is a word called hesed. Uh, H-E-S-E-D is how we would spell it in English, but hesed. And we learned in Ruth because they use it over and over again with the love that Naomi shows Ruth. Whenever Naomi, the mother-in-law, is trying to send Ruth back to Moab, saying, you know, no, you need to go back to your people. You need to go back to your gods. You will not, I don't have another son for you to marry. You need to go back. She was showing a one-way love. It would be better for Naomi if Ruth had gone with her, but Naomi is, trying, is showing self-sacrificial love and sending Ruth back. Ruth then is fairly stubborn and says, no, 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 I'm going to go with you. Your people will be my people. Your God will be my God. Where you go, I will go. Where you die, I will die, right? So Ruth says, no, 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 even though it's better for me for me to go back home, I am making a commitment to you. I'm showing this loyalty to you, this self-sacrificial loyalty to you with no knowledge of how the story was going to turn out, right? No knowledge at all. And then we see the, the figure of Boaz, who's the Messiah figure in the story. He does the same thing. He shows a self-sacrificial love to Ruth in, in the way he redeemed her, and in turn, Naomi as well, from that situation. So we see God teach us this, this idea of hesed very, very clearly in the book of Ruth. And that's the same word that's being used here. So as we read this psalm and go through it, I want you to think about this. They're saying, give thanks to the Lord. Thanks to God and God alone, right? Because his steadfast love, his one-way love, his loyalty, his commitment, his self-sacrificial love is a love that endures forever, right? Nothing can shake it. It doesn't matter what you do. His, his love endures forever. And so the very first part, after we kind of understand the nature of God's love, he shows us three major things that really originate out of that type of love. And the first thing is, he's saying, I want you to give thanks to God. His love endures forever. I want you to give thanks because I want you to remember the glory and the majesty of his creation. So let me read the first nine verses of Psalm 136. Or I'm going to start with verse 2 there and just kind of uh, absorb this. It says, give thanks to the God of gods for his steadfast love endures forever. Give thanks to the Lord of lords for his steadfast love endures forever. To him alone does great wonders, for his steadfast love endures forever. To him who by understanding made the heavens, for his steadfast love endures forever. To him who spread out the earth above the waters, for his steadfast love endures forever. To him who made the great lights, for his steadfast love endures forever. The sun to rule over the day, for his steadfast love endures forever. The moon and stars to rule over the night, for his steadfast love endures forever. God's telling us very clearly, he goes, as you give thanks to me, I want you to give thanks in one way by just remembering who I am and remembering the glory of this amazing creation that I've given you. Just look at the majesty of God all around and what we get to experience here on earth. And I've got a hypothesis that I'm sure someone's done some theological research on, but I feel like we as a society have become less and less 
mystified by God, but become less and less impressed by God's creation as we've continued to progress through our economy to get less and less agricultural based. So an agrarian economy, if you kind of think about how our country was formed, almost everybody's a farmer, right? Everybody's, Everybody's farming in some way or another or dependent upon a farmer in some way or another. And when you're a farmer, and I come from a long line of farmers, but when you're a farmer, it is really simple to become dependent upon God. You are praying daily for rain. You are praying that floods don't come. You're praying that the heat doesn't get too out of hand. You're praying away insects. You're praying for all kinds of stuff. You're depending upon God all the time. But you're also out in his creation all the time. You're there in the morning. You see the sun rise. You see the sun go down. You see the stars clearly at night, right? I mean, you, you get to be in awe of God's creation. Today, for those of us who are not farmers, which I'm in that boat right now, that's a, yet another thing in my life I can be thankful for my dad for. He got me off the farm. Uh, I would have been a horrible farmer. I mean, I would have been awful. You see how hard it is for me to grow wildflowers out here, right? So, so I mean, I would have been a really bad farmer. But, uh, but for those of us who don't, uh, don't get to experience that, you know, it's easy for us to just forget how amazing God is, how amazing this world is, this creation is. I remember once a year, uh, whenever I take a moment to experience God's creation, right before I try to destroy God's creation. So, Charlie, you know what I'm talking about, right? What's the one time a year that you really get to sit out and experience God's glory in all ways? Yeah, well, what, and you think about Thanksgiving was based on the original Harvest Festivals, right? For me, for me right now, the only time I really get to experience this in the way that I thought to is when I go deer hunting, right? I just sit out there for all day long, and, and, and there's nothing to do, and you get to sit there and soak in God's glory a little bit before you try to destroy his creation. So, but, but, but if you don't have those rhythms, like I said, you, can, you live in the city, it, you, you just kind of forget. Sun comes up, sun comes down, your food comes to you. I mean, it just you forget about all this. So God's trying to remind his people you need to remember who I am. You need to remember just how great this is. Like, like, I put all these stars in the sky. The only life that exists is in this little place I get. And I gave you all of this to be impressed by, you know, to, to guide you. I mean, it's, it's going to be amazing what we continue to learn about God's creation as our science improves. He's given us this amazing world. And I'm not going to bore you with reading Job 38, uh, but I'd always encourage you guys, if you're ever not impressed with God's creation, go read Job 38. Uh, he, he explains who he is and, and why he's done what he's done, and it, is, it will just set you back for a minute. But, but God's just telling us, you need to remember my creation. The second thing he, he talks about here is verse 10, 11, and 12. He says, To him who struck down the firstborn of Egypt, for his steadfast love endures forever, and brought Israel out from among them, for his steadfast love endures forever, with a strong hand and an outstretched arm, for his steadfast love endures forever. What God's talking about here is redemption, absolute redemption, right? He, you know, you'll see this time and time again in the Bible where the people of Israel look back to that time when God took them out of Egypt, remembering what God did. If you think about the, the people of Israel, whenever they were enslaved in Egypt for those 400 years, they were slaves, right? They, they were not under control. You know, the Pharaoh had enslaved them completely, and they could not save themselves from that condition. It took God to redeem his people, take them out of that situation, and restore them, right? And so 
these, at the time the psalm's being written, they're remembering that aspect of their redemption. And we get to look, look at this and understand that not only were people redeemed in that manner, that was just foreshadowing the, the cosmic redemption that we get to experience in Christ. Just like the people of Israel were enslaved in their sin, we were in, or, they, or they were enslaved to, the, to Egypt, we were enslaved to our sin. We could not save ourselves from that condition, and God came down and redeemed us. You know, I read from you guys that passage in Paradise Lost a couple weeks where, where in the heavenly courts, you know, God is sitting there and saying mankind has fallen, right? They cannot save themselves. Who will go and pay the price? And the Son of God steps up and he, and he says, my death for their death, right? You know, let, let the, your anger, let death, rack, you know, let the wrath come upon me. I will own it. Right, you know that that redemption that we have is something we always have to remember. That's one of the reasons we're taught to take communion, is to remember what was paid for, what the price that was paid for our redemption. So God's trying to say, He goes, "Be thankful to me." Right, be thankful. We need to be thankful to God, but be thankful for my creation. Be thankful for your redemption. Right, two things we can hold on to really tightly at any point in times in our lives. The third thing he, they really talk about is, is very spe- specifically how God protects his people. So let me read the rest of this psalm, and I'll kind of get into this. So starting with verse 13, it says, To him who divided the Red Sea in two, for his steadfast love endures forever, and made Israel pass through the midst of it, for his steadfast love endures forever, but overthrew Pharaoh and his host in the Red Sea. Uh, but made Israel pass through the midst of it, for his steadfast love endures forever. But overthrew Pharaoh and his host in the Red Sea, for his steadfast love endures forever. To him who led his people through the wilderness, for his steadfast love endures forever. To him who struck down great kings, for his steadfast love endures forever. And killed mighty kings, for his steadfast love endures forever. Sion, king of the Amorites, for his steadfast love endures forever. And Og, king of Bashan, for his steadfast love endures forever. And gave their land as a heritage, for his steadfast love endures forever. A heritage to Israel his servant, for his steadfast love endures forever. And look how specific he gets and personal. It is he who remembered us in our lowest state, for his steadfast love endures forever. And rescued us from our foes, for his steadfast love endures forever. He who gives food to all flesh... For his steadfast love endures forever. Give thanks to the God of heaven, for his steadfast love endures forever. We see in this, this theme that also repeats all throughout the Bible, that God protects his family. He protects his family. Right? We see a big distinction made between the way the people in the Old Testament are, are, who are in the covenant of God are treated and the way the people who are not in the covenant of God are treated. And we see a big difference between the promises that God makes for those who he considers in his family now, which are all those who have put their faith in Christ. Right? We see God time and time again show us that he is going to protect his family. And we now, for us who have our faith in Christ, we are now heirs to God. Right? We are in the family of God. As we are members of the kingdom of God, we are part of the family of God. We are one in Christ. But we see this where, where God's calling upon his people to remember all the times that he, he was very intentional about protecting them. And I, I love this because it's just so interesting that, 
you know, hundreds and hundreds of years after these facts happened, that the Israelites would go back to very, very specific occurrences in their history to remember how God protected them. My favorite one in this is verse 20. And it says uh, how, you know, he's talking about all these kings that they defeated. And he says in verse 20, he says, and, they defeat, and God defeated Og, king of Bashan, for his steadfast love endures forever. And if you guys remember Og, king of Bashan, this was an interesting character in the Bible. This is right at the time that the exodus has occurred and, and the people have been in the wilderness for around the 40-year time frame. And they're making their kind of final journeys up into the promised land. And if you kind of think about a map of Israel, the people were going up the east side of the Jordan, camping out outside of Moab, and then would go into the promised land. Well, Og was, was a king who stood in their way. And this king was no normal king. He was meant to, or he was thought to have been a descendant of the Rephaim, you know, a descendant of the giants, of the strong, mighty men. Uh, the way the Bible describes him is that he, he slept on a bed made of iron, and he was so tall, uh, like he was eight to nine feet tall, something, a large, large man. I mean, just, he was, he was a type of king who was feared across the entire Near East. And so, the Israelites were not meant to defeat Og. It would make no sense. No one thought they would be able to defeat this king in battle. And so when they defeated Og in battle, it sent shockwaves all through the region. And so it was at that point in time, after Og is defeated, and everyone's freaking out because they see all these Israelites camped outside the grounds, that the king of Moab got very, very concerned. And if you remember, the king of Moab got so concerned that he called, not called, but he sent word for this prophet-type guy, this, you know, this guy who was kind of a pay-for-profit, uh, to come and pronounce a curse on his people. Do you remember what that guy's name was? We did a three-week series on him, by the way. Yeah, it stuck really well. I'm going to have to go back and do another three-week series on Balaam and his donkey. Right, so the king of Moab calls Balaam and says, I want you to come down and pronounce a curse on these people because they just defeated Og. Like, no one should be able to defeat Og, right? And so Balaam comes down, and, and he's being paid to pronounce a curse on the Israelites as they're camped out outside of Moab before they go into the promised land. And God reminded his people right then that He is their God, and they are his people, and he's going to protect them. He had made a promise to Abraham way back when. He said, whoever blesses you, I will bless, and whoever curses you, I will curse, right? And so when Balaam went to pronounce that curse upon God's people, which a fascinating backstory, which we've talked about. But when Balaam went back and pronounced that curse, what came out of his mouth was not a curse. It was a blessing. You know, and then God dealt with Balaam and Balak, the king of Moab, in a different way. But... He protected his people, right? The, the, the most humorous story in the Bible about how God does an interesting thing to protect his people is the prophet Elisha. Whenever the prophet Elisha is walking down the road and, um, and these teenage boys come out from the road and they start making fun of him. Do you want to remember this story? Yeah, well, they start calling him. They called him old Baldy, Baldhead, right? All these teenage boys are making fun of him for being bald, which I take offense to as, as somebody who knows where my head's going, right? But they start calling him bald, and, and he sits there, and he calls upon a prayer, and these bears come out of the woods and maul these teenage boys. And it seems like it's this crazy story in the Bible. But at the end of the day, Elisha was a prophet. Of, he, was, he was a carrier of the word of God. Right? God was not going to let anything interfere with the message Elisha was needing to go carry to the people God was telling about. He was protecting his people. 
We see it time and time again. Now, does protecting God's people mean that his people aren't going to go through trials? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. But what we know about now in this world is that the absolute worst thing that can happen to us in this world is that we die. And even that, even that cannot harm us, right? It can't harm us. God said, no, I will defeat death itself. We live, we've, we've all lived in this world for however long you've been alive, and we've accepted this idea that death is a part of life. We've accepted that as, as truth. And that was never meant, that was never how it was meant to be. I always have to remind myself, death was never meant to be a part of life. Life was meant to extend. Life was meant to be in perpetuity. Adam and Eve weren't meant to die, right? And so death entered the world in our sin, and, and we are slaves to that death. But even that doesn't defeat us because we have been redeemed, right? God has conquered that too. And so in the most glorious of ways, God continues to protect his people. And so I just, I, I say these things, and I want you to, to make sure in these difficult times that we remember, like we remember, we practice remembering what it is that God has given to us that we should be thankful for, right? We can always, no matter what's going on, be, faithful, be thankful for this incredible creation we have. We can always be thankful for our redemption. We can always be thankful for how he protects us no matter what is going on in our lives, And then we can turn our minds towards, once we get that, what is our response? What's our response for for our thankfulness? And I'll end with this. I thought a lot about this, about what my response would be, just what's the right way to respond to God in his thankfulness. And and for some reason, I'll make two illustrations with my son in this lesson. But my son, Ethan, I said he's nine years old, he's a good kid. And whenever we go and and I take him to a baseball game, the kid is genuinely thankful that I'm taking him to that baseball game, like for him to play. He is thankful for his bat. He's thankful for his glove. He's thankful that I took him. He's thankful that I walked him in. He's, he's thankful. Like he, he tells me as much. He is very thankful. And so before each game, I'll normally tell him the same thing. I'll tell him, Eason, you need to hustle. Right? You need to hustle. You may not be the most talented kid on the team, but you need to, no one should out-hustle you. And it's the same thing my dad told me before I played basketball games growing up. Same thing I tell him now. Right? No one should out-hustle you. Uh, second thing is, is listen to your coaches. If they tell you to do something, do it. Right? And the third thing I, I, I tell him, and I tell him this all the time, is I go, no matter what, don't go ask your coach to play a certain position. Because what does every nine-year-old kid want to play in baseball? They want to be the pitcher, right? Every nine-year-old kid wants to be the pitcher. And so I say, don't go ask the, the, the coach to be the pitcher, right? You go and you just play whatever position he does. And so then I go out and I watch my son, and he plays the game, and he hustles, and he listens to his coach. His coach tells him something, and, and he listens. And then I, I watch him at the end of the game. At the end of the game, his coach is talking to him, and I look back up, and Easton's talking to his coach. And, and I see him go, Coach Craig? And Coach Craig goes, yes, Easton. And he goes, next game, can I play pitcher? You know, so... But I thought about this, for me as a dad, for me as a dad, I gave him three instructions, right? And what, made, what, what would make me so happy as a dad in those moments is not if my kid hit a home run, not if he stole third, not if he, you know, caught all the balls and went to him. That stuff doesn't matter to me as much. What matters to me is, um, what matters to me 
is that when I've given him instructions and he was thankful for what I'm doing, that he goes and just does what I say, right? Will you actually just go do what I say? And so just in these moments, if you think about this, just we have so much to be thankful for. We have a great father, right? We have a great father who loves us. His steadfast, self-sacrificial, enduring, committed love will, will go for forever, right? Let's show him our thankfulness by just simply doing what he says, right? If he tells us to respect the coach, respect the coach. If he tells us to hustle, we hustle, right? If he tells us not to ask to be the pitcher, let's not ask to be the pitcher. Like, let's just simply show him our thankfulness in our simple obedience, right? I don't think anything makes our father happier than if we just trust him enough to say, we trust you, Lord. We know you love us. We'll go and do what you say. Yes, sir. Yep. So let me repeat to these guys on Zoom. So what Lee said is, what, what if you only have today what you gave thanks for yesterday? And in a similar way to think about that is, what if you only had what you prayed for? And even more difficult is, what if you only were what someone else prayed on your behalf for? Right? And, and so God teaches us in these moments to be thankful. He tells us what to be thankful for. And he asks us to pray about it. Right? And, and so I think it's a great reminder to just, let's do those simple things right now. When the world feels overwhelming... Let's just trust God with these simple things. Do what he says. And, um, and he will love us and carry us through no matter what's going on. Let me pray for us. I appreciate that, Lee. Father, I, I thank you for these guys. I thank you for the time we've gotten to spend today. As you continue to be with Howard's family. Um, just really weighs heavily on all of us. Uh, but we do trust you. Your steadfast love endures forever. Nothing will stop it. Nothing will take it away. We thank you for being the great father that you are. May we trust in you. Even when everything in us tells us not to, you've shown us time and time again that we, you are worthy to be trusted. There's a reason everyone in your word, everyone in this, this great story you gave us in the Bible has always remembered your glory and remembered what you've done. Help us remember and help us to know how to follow. In Jesus' name, amen.